Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. Coming to you from a place where no man would want to live and no man would want to die. A place where civilization ends and hell begins. Anyway, on today's show, we will be continuing our look at Motown artists from the 1960s and what they were doing in the 70s. Oh, I should do that all the time. I should do my uh, John Houseman. In, in the, the 70s. 70s. Just for just to have some gravitas to what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> It'd make us sound more legitimate. It would, instead of like a couple of idiots. <laughs> And today we talk about Smokey Robinson, or the man they called the Smoke Man. I just made that up. I don't think anybody called him the Smokester. The Smokeramovich. All those things that Rob's saying, I don't think anybody called him that. No, you only got beat up in the 70s for doing that. That was more of an 80s thing. Smoke man. (laughs) Sorry. And uh, we review his 1975 album, A Quiet Storm. The Smoke Man. The Smoke Man. Do you know where I can score some smoke? Go to the smoke, man. We're going to tell you in a little while uh, why he's called Smokey and other interesting facts, which may be interesting or may not be. I don't guarantee they're interesting. But they're facts. But But they are facts. You cannot deny they are facts because I found it on the internet. So there you go. Now, the interesting thing from this past week, and I think you will agree with this, Rob. I will. Is that I like being you told. don't know what I've got to say yet? I like being told how to think ahead of time. It relieves me of the burden of responsibility. So the interesting thing from this past week, which Rob will agree with me Already on, enough. because he doesn't want to get fired, is that I is that I went and got a haircut as of today. Actually, that's Rob. right. Yeah, a few hours ago, which I am very proud of. Uh, <laughs> Mine will be due in the fall. You get your haircut. Why don't you just comb whatever you have back or whatever you do? Because don't know. Okay, whatever. Oh, you just kill the. Oh, you just kill the. You just kill the momentum, like You gotta ooh, stop listening man. to me and just listen to yourself. Okay, William B. So and also in the middle of this heat wave we are having here and around the world, I also got sunstroke. All right. Which is not as much fun as you think it is. If you're all thinking that's like a day at the beach, oh, let's go get sunstroke, like the breaststroke, but yeah, it's, it's like a beach blanket movie. No, there was no sunstroke in a beach blanket movie. That <laughs> <laughs> would make the beaches unattractive places. <laughs> oh, and by the way, in case you're saying to yourself, hey, there's no heat wave, man, I say to you, <laughs> say to you, long haired hippies out there, that we tape months and months and months ahead of schedule so there's there's your answer like we we tape so far ahead that we're taping in summer and by the time you hear it you're celebrating christmas and maybe that might be a stretch but but, it has to be done but right now as we do the show we're in the middle of the heat wave so there's your answer and people who doubt me that there's a heat wave going on when you're listening to this and by the way why don't you go get a job you long-haired creeps Like those hippies were predicting the heat wave. I don't like the hippies talking back to me Nobody. and telling me that that it's not a heat wave when it actually is. <laughs> Why don't they get jobs? 
Those hippies. Where are they? <laughs> I think they're at oh they can't be at a Grateful Dead concert because there's no Grateful Dead anymore maybe they're just at a Dead concert because that's oh they call them the Dead and Company now the Dead and Company without Jerry they call it the Dead and Company okay and then they got John Mayer on guitar which pisses me off for some reason I don't like John Mayer no I don't he's a good guitar player but personally I don't know how we got on this <laughs> but personally he, he grizzes my grizz. He deserves a good uh, bunch of fives. So we talked about uh, my week <laughs> and <laughs> a bunch of fives. I just got that, so sorry. <laughs> so we talked about my week. Hey, Rob, how was your week? And please, take your time. I'm thirsty. Oh, gosh, let's see. Uh, the week began with uh, me not knowing what the following week would bring. So I kind of thought I should ask someone, what am I doing next week? Because I didn't know myself. I thought I knew. Turns out I didn't. I was wrong. And I uh, did some double checking around town and found out uh, this week I'm doing this. Crazy. That's a funny story. <laughs> Man, you got the best. So anyways, it's time for odds and ends. You can't make that stuff up. No, I wish I... I <laughs> I wish I'd never, I, I wish I didn't need a drink of water or else I would never throw it to you like that. Never. No, but I have to every week. At least I'm consistent. <laughs> <laughs> so odds and ends, lost time is not found again. Well, this week on odds and ends, uh, we have a fascinating topic today. Why is it so damn hot outside? Is what we're. <laughs> I know we're, an engineer and he can help you out with that one. Were the 1970s this hot, you're probably asking? No. Why not? The 70s were not this hot, but the chicks were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. So yeah. True. I have, I have yeah. nothing for odds and ends. Okay. Uh, this week, uh, you see, I don't think that people understand that I had sunstroke. <laughs> for a couple of days which prevented me from finding anything really interesting because I had sunstroke so maybe when you people out there you hippies have sunstroke you can see if you can come up with anything for odds and ends you dirty smelly hippies on hate street not hate street, I said H A T E. Yeah, hate, yeah, the, yeah. In the Hate Ashbury. Yeah, the Hate Ashbury district. Mm-hmm. Are they still hanging around there? I have not seen hippies for years. I've seen people called hippies who, <laughs> who weren't hippies. To be hippies. <laughs> Anytime somebody's <laughs> mad at somebody else, you hippies. You call them hippies. Or if they're young, if they're young like 17, and they might even look preppy. <laughs> But they're young, so it's like, you damn hippies, <laughs> go get a job. Okay, I think we've established. Hippies are always younger than the people accusing the hippies of being hippies. Yes, that is a good point. Hippies are always the younger of the of the debate. If yeah. you could, could you call it a debate? There's the accusers and the accused. Oh, man. Gardening show is getting Ooh. a lot of viewers today. <laughs> our listeners, I tell you. They're thanking the sunstroke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this week, uh, we're kind of rolling, though. We're kind of going fast this week. We might, I dare say it, we might break the 60-minute uh, mark. I, we I, might. I bet all my money on tonight. Tonight's the one. I did a dance. You couldn't see it. This week, we are going to talk about how to make a vinyl record. 
Sounds like a teacher in school, doesn't it? And remember, when you're done, you will have to make your own vinyl record, so pay attention, kids. (laughs) But it's true. This is how to make a vinyl record. Now, first, get some vinyl. Sorry. And then a record. So now I don't now I don't think we will get all I want to talk about into this one episode. This will be a two episode. This will be a part. Remember when they had happy days and there'd be like part one and part I two. I was just thinking about that when Fonzie was jumping the shark. Yeah, that was like three parts, I think, that uh, that show uh, when they went to California and then he had to jump the shark. And uh, he did. And he but did then, it in his uh, leather jacket. But then it was the, they didn't, they didn't. They forgot about it with the leather jacket. Yeah. They didn't think about the octopus that was... <laughs> that would have been good, though, wouldn't it? If there was an octopus there, they didn't they forgot. Oh, no, there's an octopus. And that was the thing that actually uh, injured him. It would have made for a great end of the series. Yeah. So, anyways, maybe we should go on to what we were talking about, which is the vinyl record instead of Fonzie. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, this this show has really gone off the rails today, but I feel it's for the best. I think we're keeping the audience this week because we're going off the rails. They're thinking, where will it go next? Which we are also thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we think about that lots. Okay, anyway, you know that I think everybody is in agreement, except for a lot of stodgy hippies. <laughs> hippies is the word today, except for a lot of freaking hippies. Damnable hippies. <laughs> Who, listening to music on a vinyl record, knows how wonderful this medium is. I think it's the greatest medium in the for music ever, is the vinyl record. No doubt in my mind. But few actually know how records are made surprisingly and this is surprisingly it's actually a very intricate process and an interesting one for some people at that so let's take a peek rob behind the curtain okay okay (laughs) you didn't help me at all on that one well i got my mental picture of how a record is made and i want to see how it contrasts from how it's made in reality Okay. Uh, you have a lump of now, vinyl, you heat it up, you put it between two uh, things and uh, squish it, and then you got a record. So, uh, serious vinyl enthusiasts know how critical each step is. Every part of the process to make a record uh, affects the record's quality. You knew that, Rob. Hey, so, here's shot. a step by step look at how 12 inch, and 12 inch is the regular LP record. Yeah, uh, we're not talking the old 7 inch is the 45, the 12 inch is the beep. Uh, the most common, of course, is the 12 inch, which are made. And not before, before the 45s. But we're not talking about, we're talking about now. Were the 78 RPMs a different size? <laughs> so, anyways. <laughs> yeah, so, so was the cylinder Alexander Graham yeah. goes. He's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, the 78s, which are selling like hotcakes right now. The 78s. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Okay, believe it or not, the roots of the record creation process took hold long before heading to a vinyl pressing facility. Did you know well, that? I don't believe it. This, proje- this process actually begins in the hands of the mastering engineer, the band, or the artist working with it. So it's the mastering engineer and the artist working on the album. Get it? Uh, they got a recording bits all on tape. The sound engineer, you know the sound engineer. Are you people understand this? Because he's interrupting it with stupid shit. 
<laughs> and I hope it doesn't take away from what I'm talking about. The sound engineer or team of engineers will take the digital studio. See, I don't like that when they say digital, digital. already. I want, to, I want to say analog. So the sound engineer and the, or the team of engineers will take the analog studio recording files. Hippies. <laughs> That's actually us because we, analog would be us, the hippies. So uh, the analog files created by the musician and prepare them for transfer to vinyl. Now, this is interesting, Rob, because if you talk about um, digital, you do actually have files, right? Yep. Now, this article, which I'm, of course, reading on, I'm not, I didn't write this, obviously, because uh, I don't know how to make a vinyl record until I read this. So, what do you do with analog? They don't have files. Or do, or I, I'm, I'm, I wish this was actually in analog, like this article was about analog, because that would be a little bit more fascinating. Analog, don't they uh, press a master copy or something? Yes. Know? We're going to see what happens, I guess. Uh, maybe it's the same. Maybe it's a little bit different than how they do it, because they, I know that there is a master copy. We'll see. We're not supposed to say master copy. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into that. Uh, they will ensure that uh, the musicians, that when they transfer it to vinyl, the files, they will ensure that tracks are properly optimized for vinyl by running them through several steps. This is interesting. I never knew how to make a vinyl record before, including ensuring that tonality and levels and other high-level details are consistent song to song. Now, that's the rub. Ooh. Because in digital or in the way they used to make records in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s was to make everything the same. Oh, yeah, the same level. The levels were the same all the time. Now, in the analog era, when you actually had Bob Clearmountain and all these people, uh, Bob Ludwig, master of recording, they would actually make sure that the tonality and levels were different depending on the song. But you also want, and this is interesting because when you have a record and you used to, and if you remember playing records, if, if some people haven't played a record in a long time, some records would come out and they'd be loud. Now they're meant to be loud. Um, and then some records you'd have to turn up the volume a little bit because they'd be softer. They're kind of meant to be softer. I remember there's some records I had that there's no set volume for putting a record on. Is what I'm saying. Do you remember that, no, Rob? Yeah, you yeah, didn't have it on actually, like five or whatever, and that's it. Sometimes the record you'd have to go to seven. Sometimes the record would have to be three because it was out. But that was all on purpose. Sometimes you wanted the the song to be the album or the mastering to be bursting out. Sometimes you wanted it soft. Sometimes it had to be soft as far as the sound because you put too much information on there. Let's say you made 28 minutes per side. Oh, the yeah, more yeah. the more music you put on there the less dynamics you have and the less you have to work with volume, the more the volume goes lower when you do it. Huh. That's our information. Actually, that's not from here. That's actually from our experience as, as listeners. That's a physical thing with the needle, um, uh, the groove uh, it's going into has to be different sizes. Yes. According to and there were some very long records. Uh, Todd Rundgren was a master of the long record. Some of his records were over 30 minutes long. I didn't even know it could be 30 minutes long. Dang. And But that's really stretching it. Sometimes the record wouldn't play. Sometimes it would skip a lot because it's just not meant to be played that long. Because the was so small that it was just jumping out. Exactly. See, we know our shit alone without having to read from an article. <laughs> I use my brain. Just a brain. 
Engineers also work with the musician and producer to determine the album's song cover. As each side of a record can only see, we just talked about this, as each side of a record can only hold about 20 to 30 minutes worth of audio. Together, the group will figure out the final order of the songs. Well, duh, you also sometimes now that's strange because I guess I guess they're talking about before this is sent. Yeah. To yeah. the making record. You have to figure out the mat you have to do the mastering and you have to figure out, of course, how the you can't do that while you're making your record. You can't say, you know what, maybe we should change the order of the songs, man. That's what hippies do. Yeah. <laughs> hippies go in with their songs disorganized. <laughs> hippies and jazz musicians. This is our hippie show. Uh, I like this. And jazz musicians. Well, they're token or taking their smack yeah. or thinking, let's change everything around. But no, you have to have everything and you have a box and it's marked, well, one, two, three, four, five, side A. And then you'd have the second box would be have your tape in there, side B, blah, blah. And if you have four, three, two records, then it'd be three and four and blah, blah, blah. And you have to have all that done before you make the record, obviously. So the, the mastering process alone, as we have talked about on this show many times and still don't understand completely is one that's incredibly complex, as we know. <laughs> so much so that we don't have nearly enough time or space to dive into it here. We don't. We have talked about mastering probably in about five shows that we've done, and we're still a little clueless about it. We have some, we have more knowledge than we did uh, before we did this show. Yep. But we still are not completely in sync to what the what the mastering engineer does when he does a mastering. But that's but we did state that the mastering is the final project that's done before the record is made into a vinyl. Okay. Yeah. After that, it's just the physical process of using the um, uh, the finished recording, which is to say, after mastering, that's the finished recording. I didn't get any of that, but I agree. It's true. How can it not be? <laughs> okay, so after the digital files are prepared, the next step is to get them onto the master disc. That's the uh, the master tape, uh, also called the lacquer master. Yes, I remember. I remember it being called the lacquer master. The lacquer when we were recording, as you've likely seen from the name, this is the primary disc. All of the individual copies will be made from. Now, this is important. Because when you have the master, which we're not supposed to say, I guess, but I will say it every time. Because <laughs> yeah, I think it's what stupid. It is. That's what it is. It's the master. It's the it's the the one. And you make all copies from that. Now, some of the problems that CDs had, I'm going away from this written article a lot because we want to add some things that we yeah, think is important. Uh, is that the problems that CDs had was that I guess record companies either were, were cutting corners or they thought that the the CD would sound so good it didn't kind of matter if the master was used, so they would use second generation and third generation copies, and it was done a lot, a lot more than people think. And um, what those are, the second generation is like is when you take a tape. You know when you take a cassette yeah. tape and then you record it and it's like great and then you take your you record it for your friend and then you record it you take that tape and that tape guy records it for his friend. All it gets every single time you do it, 
it gets lesser and lesser in quality. You add a little bit of hiss. Yes. Every time. Yeah, a little bit of hiss, a little bit of dullness to it every time that you that you tape it for somebody. Um, well, that's what a third generation is, or a second generation. It's 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 close to the master, but it ain't the master because it doesn't sound as good. Um, and that's the problem that came back to haunt compact disc is the laziness of the record companies to actually use second and third uh, generation copies. Sometimes I have heard that that record companies, when they were making a second pressing, would make a, a take a second generation master and use it. I don't know any specifics. I just know that when there was that controversy, they brought that up. That sometimes a, a, re, a repressing of an album would not sound as good as the first pressing. I always like to get the first pressing of an album, no matter how expensive it is, just because not too much because of the mastering, because you get the, all the, the artwork that they had at the time, and you realize yeah. and you're holding the artwork you get from the 1972. Package. Yes, you get the whole package. You're realizing you're holding something that was in stores in 1972, 1967. Uh, you don't know unless unless you go to Discogs website, you don't know exactly what you're holding when you get a repress. It could be from 1977 when they did another reissue. It could be um, uh, Joe did in his basement. You don't know. Yeah, and. Uh, and I just I just like to have the original, uh, so I just wanted to put that point in. Now, uh, master discs have aluminum cores that are sanded down to be as I don't know if how interesting this is for people. I find it interesting, but I, I hope gotta, uh, keep going, keep going. Okay, you find it interesting, do you? Yeah. Okay, so master discs have aluminum cores that are sanded down to be as smooth as possible. This process also gets rid of dust, scratches and anything else that might impact the record's sound. So it's, it's completely made clean, completely clean. This process is absolutely critical when it comes to creating a high quality record, which is of course, if you don't do it, you're gonna get a bunch of dust and skips and beep, boop, 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 like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think, um, it illumines the core, is that also the exterior? Yes. Yes. Okay, okay, that's what the whole thing is made of aluminum. Yes, exactly. Okay. From there, the aluminum, which is the core, is covered in a thick coat of nitrocellulose lacquer. So lacquer. it's not the exterior. It's the nitrocellulose that is the exterior. Oh, the exterior. I thought you meant the core. The aluminum is the core. Yeah, yeah. the outside of it is this uh, lacquer stuff. Right, it's the, it's the lacquer, which they always talk about. That we're making a lacquer disc from your thing and everything. And that lacquer is left to dry, then put through a rigorous inspection. I don't know what a rigorous inspection is. Oh, look at that. No, you look at that. I think it, uh, <laughs> first of all, do a physical inspection, look at it, and then they'd uh, try stamping something out and see how it sounds. Right. That's, yeah, you're right. That's how it works in the world of my imagination. But if a, lacquer, like, uh, if a lacquer master fails, which isn't uncommon, I've heard many stories. We've, I have a lacquer of one of our records, as a matter of fact. And, if a, and you can only play it like a couple times, right? Yeah, I think if you're stamping copies, it negates, I mean, if you play it, it wears it down. Right, exactly. Every time you play it, it gets worse and worse. If a lacquer master fails, which happens a lot just because of the process being used, it's back to square one until a viable master is produced. So you just do it over and over again until there's nothing wrong with the disc in, 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 that you've done. When a master is approved, the engineer then punches a hole in the center like this. <laughs> and packs <laughs> we even have effects who else has effects the gardening show well yeah they do 
and packs it into a spindle along with the requested duplicates for backup, each separated by uh, protective strips. See, everyone has a duplicate, which is the generation is what we're talking about. Okay. So you always want to make, like you just don't want to have the master and if you lose the master, that's it. That's it. Yeah, you no want to have, hurts. that's, but nowadays people are, if you do lose the master, sometimes they won't even, they'll, I don't know. It, it's Everybody is so concentrated nowadays about finding the master that the second generation and the third generation, which are the backups, are almost like, oh, well, we're not going to do it because we just have the second generation. So we're going to, you know, use some other system. It's very difficult, but different now. But used to be like if you couldn't find the master for some reason, if it was lost, which they do quite a bit, but then they find them. Uh, you should always master. It's funny because they always seem to find the master in strange places. Like, uh, oh, it's at Doug's place. He took yeah, it. Took it home that morning. For, <laughs> for what? <laughs> I hope he didn't play it. <laughs> no, he was having one of those parties with the girls. Yeah, you he know. just want to show me. Yeah, uh, I, want to <laughs> I know these guys. No, it's strange. It is strange where they find like stuff and like they'll find it in a television studio. Like, what the hell was I doing in a television studio? Anyways, uh, that's why they make. Uh, backups second and third generations just in case something happens to the master if you only have one and you lose it or it breaks or you then you know what you do you, have, you know what you have to do rob when you actually uh lose the master is you have to actually find the cleanest copy of the record that you have and repress that which i have heard done not many times but i have heard that uh you know, well, we couldn't find the master and we didn't make any copies of it. So the only way we can make more copies is to find the best first pressing that we can and and make that, which is really weird. But sometimes those can sound really good because if you can take away the, the needle sound and everything, it can be really good. Anyways, this could be five episodes by the time I get through with all the asides we put into it. Uh, we're gonna now we're gonna imprint music onto the master disc, uh, and this is the cool part: imprinting the music onto a master disc. First, the disc is placed on the cutting lathe. You typically also see a, a sapphire-tipped carving stylus, uh, like diamond. In this setup, as well as a microscope. Wow, that's neat. As well as a microscope and a vacuum stick. Next, the engineer does a test cut at the edge. Oh, yeah. yeah. The vacuum cut has to cut that. The, the vacuum sucks up the dust and that. Exactly. created during the cutting. And inspects it for flaws with the microscope. It's very interesting. It's very cool. If everything looks good, the actual continual groove recording is then imprinted. The actual continuing groove that, go, that the, the stylus goes onto, starting with the outer edge and working, of course, towards the record center. Remember those digital files or analog files the mastering engineer worked so hard on? Yes, those files are sent to the cutting lathe. That's so cool. So the files are actually sent to the cutting lathe, which in turn converts the sound waves in real time into vibrations onto the lathe. That is so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely different with digital. It's different with digital. You can't do that with analog. And yeah, unfortunately, I mean, digital, you can uh, punch numbers in, and those numbers right. will be 
translate it to what the uh, the machine needs to, to you know with analog uh, since they're not doing that though with analog I can understand why they wrote it like this yeah because nobody's doing it like that but I would like it's unfortunate because I, I wish they would have made kind of like two of them because to show how analog was made because analog was incredible but of course a lot more difficult because now you just got files that are computerized and you put them in there yeah yeah and they're the, the, the machine that takes the yeah but huh so the, the, the sound waves are converted in real time into vibrations that the lathe carves into the master disc screws. I think that's so damn cool. That's actually vibrations that are cut into the, that the lathe carves into the grooves of a record. I got to think that's a lot like the same as analog except with just a different way of doing it. Yeah, it's just it's a different way of transmitting the amount of power needed to carve the right depth for it. Uh, doing it digitally, it's uh, with um, computer signals. Doing it analog, it can't be with computers. Well, yeah, it can't be because no, it can't translate be. into digital. Yeah, it can't be. Oh, now it's got me thinking. I really love this. This is now a bigger mystery to me than before. We I know. I really like to hear. I'd really <laughs> like to know the process in analog because it, it's it it it's it's similar but it's different. You know, it's the similar. They do the similar things mechanically. But they, the but, same thing is happening. Yes, but how they actually do it yeah, is different. How they yeah. get the signal to the mechanical thing, which does the thing exactly. Now like the entire process of putting the music onto. Um, a record is closely monitored by a cutting engineer who will also manually create the spaces in between each of the songs on the album. Wow. So if there's no spaces in between, let's say you have a Sgt. Pepper's where there's no spaces in between, that's difficult. Yeah, I, I don't even know how that's done. I really don't because it, you must just, I don't know. They'd have to do is a continuous recording. Yeah, like you have a continuous recording like Frank Zappa where it's continuous, you just wouldn't worry about it. But then yeah. you have to have, you have to know where to put the, where to put the thing in between songs. Where to songs. put uh, what Bob and Doug McKenzie called the black holes. Yes, the black holes <laughs> in between yes. songs. Yes. Uh, the master disc, after that is all done, then goes through another round of inspections. See, they go through, everything is like triple, quadruple inspection. Yeah, yeah, they got quality control there because you got one shot at it. You got one shot at it. You got to make a million copies. Yeah, and if, because once it goes through, you are literally going through the uh, factory way of going through a million copies. At least in the old days. Yeah, that's I don't know weird. if they make a million copies see, nowadays. That's, yeah. that's the freaky thing is like uh, you can do a million copies with a master. That's holy mackerel. Oh, I know. But if you make that one mistake, you got a million. You know how much a million copies is? Or mm. 500,000 in the old days when you would when you would, when you you would would do it in a factory. And if you... If you made, if you were the inspector and made that one mistake, like that could cost millions. Yeah, all those sports. records being sent back and money oh, being returned. Doing it again. Uh. Uh, and then after that, then you go to the next step, which I think we're going to leave until next week. We got a lot of steps still. <laughs> um, but we're going to leave at creating the stamper. Okay. Which sounds like a great album title, but that's what you do after you have put the grooves the in. The stamper. The okay, stamper. Okay, once again, in my mind, you got a ball of hot vinyl, and you got the stamper, and it squishes it, and there's your record done. Actually, we've done three of the processes, and there's uh, only four left. 
So we've got almost through half of it. We might get through all of it next week. Might not. Maybe we can squeeze it in. Maybe we might make this quicker. I don't know. I'm not. Um, I'm not in charge of these things. Well, I am, but um, I, I don't think it's the same if we don't put our asides in there and say what you know. I'm not just going to read the article. Yeah, we can't just narrate. Yeah, we have to narrate. Like like uh, that guy used to do for Animal Kingdom. I'm not going to say his name because I don't know. Uh, the show, the National Mutual Geographic. Mitchell of Omaha. Mitchell of Omaha. That guy. Yeah. I, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah, I remember. Was, I remember the theme. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on. I remember the theme, man. You know, you hippies and your, like, funny talk. Anyways. <laughs> I fit in with the hippies pretty good. I don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what I'm talking about. Today's theme, hippies. Uh, so, uh, we will continue that next week with how to make a vinyl record. I thought it was much more... Uh, exciting than I thought it was going to be. It was pretty cool, actually. Stuff we've gotten so far. Uh, where am I? Oh, the artist in our spotlight this week is Motown legend Smokey Robinson. And we will be reviewing his 1975 album, A Quiet Storm, which is what I also called Uptown Mike's Farts. Quiet Storm. <laughs> Mike, did you have a quiet storm? <laughs> Oh, another one, eh, Mike? Uh, sorry, Smokey. I was just we we joke sometimes, so we didn't mean it. Uh, We're good guys, really, kinda. So, <laughs> so well, Smokey Robinson. Smokey Robinson is. It's like we did with the Temptations last week. Smokey Robinson is like goes back to the beginning of of, of rock and roll music. Nineteen fifty-five. Fifteen years old. That's when he you know started the group. Uh, he's, he's legendary. He's, um, he virtually started Motown records with Barry Gordy. He came at the same time that, that even before he knew Barry Gordy before he even started Motown records. So we're talking about Smokey, like, uh, who's in his eighties now. Uh, he's, he's been around like forever. So we're talking legend and we're talking, we're talking about the guy that Bob Dylan, when they asked him who was the best poet out there, said Smokey Robinson. And if, and for some people who find that funny, you should listen to his lyrics with the miracles. Oh my God. Tears of a Clown. Uh, the other Tears song I was at, the tracks of my tears are like, are like unbelievable poetry. Not in the poetry that you, that you read in books, but just every man poetry. And, uh, just an exceptional call the genius and I have he's, he's a genius as far as songwriting is concerned and production and I don't know if I'm going to get into all the stuff about the miracles that like Smokey Robinson the miracles started way back in, in 19 uh, you know 59 maybe even before that and Gordy formed Tamla Records which was later rebranded as Motown the miracles became one of the first acts signed to the label Although they actually had been, like I said, with Gordy since before the formation of Motown Records. In late 1960, the group recorded their very first hit single. We're going back to 1960. This is before the Beatles had a contract to record any music. This is before the Beatles made... This is all, This is before the Beatles went to Hamburg. <laughs> Seriously, like, that's wild. Like, uh, they had their first hit single with Shop Around, which was... Uh, 
It's just a great song. Unfortunately, it was butcherized by Captain Tennille. Captain Tennille, do a good job at butcherizing things. Uh, well, that was the first time I heard that song, though, was Captain Tennille. You better shop around. And oh, Tennille, yeah, she could move when she was singing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Tony oh, yeah. Tennille, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> we don't have everything bad to say about Captain Tennille. So uh, between 1960, and this is just, okay, this... This blows my mind big time. Between 1960 and 1970, Robinson would produce 26, 26 top 40 hits with the Miracles as lead singer. That's just with the Miracles. Uh, he was the chief songwriter and producer, including several top 10 hits. And you just got to just got to wait this out. You got you've really got a hold on me. One of my favorite songs of all time. Mickey's Monkey. Uh, I second that emotion. Oh God. Uh, baby, baby, don't cry. Uh, Tears of a clown, like I said. Other hits were like "Ooh, baby, baby," which was covered by Linda Ronstadt uh, on her "Simple Dreams" album. I think yes, we we reviewed that album. I think maybe it could be the other album. I'm Simple not, Dreams were reviewed. I don't know. Uh... That may have been on the "Living in the USA" album, so I apologize. Uh, that's a great song though. Ooh, baby, baby. Yeah, that was not on. The one yes, there. sorry, that was on the Living in the USA on by Linda Ross. She did a great version. It's also on WKRP in Cincinnati. If you remember the episode where Johnny comes back after he'd been to California, he's got the late night shift and uh, he's working until six in the morning and he's listening to Ooh, Baby, Baby by Linda Ronstadt and he goes, Ooh. Because <laughs> it, just, it just sends a shiver down his spine. Anyways, sorry for going off track. Going to a go-go. Everybody love that song. I heard the Stones version. Yeah, the Stones version of that. Uh, just hit after hit. And... I'm going to tell you about the songs he wrote that he didn't even record. He wrote for other people, which is My Guy for Mary Wells. The Way You Do the Things You Do, Temptations. My Girl for the Temptations. My Girl. My Girl. Get Ready for the Temptations. Get ready. Get ready. Uh, so many songs. <laughs> I'll be doggone and ain't that peculiar by Marvin Gaye. I mean, just first I look at the purse. Which I actually haven't. Oh, I have heard the original version, but I always remember the Jay Giles band version. The first I look at the purse. Uh, just so many. I mean, so brilliant. I mean, just song after song he wrote. Twenty six alone with the miracles in the top in the top twenty. Like that's staggering. So. Uh, Smokey decided. Oh, I was going to tell you. I always got his name, but I have to go back. <laughs> <laughs> One paragraph quickly. Um, his uncle Claude gave him the nickname Smokey Joe when he was a child, and that's all I know. Oh yeah, that's all I know. So that's just his nickname that his uncle gave him, Smokey Joe. Just like Smokey Joe's Cafe, Smokey Joe's Cafe. Uh, so in in um, uh, Smokey Robinson stayed with the Miracles until 1972. His last performance with the group was in July 1972 in Washington, D.C. After one year of retirement, he actually retired. Uh, I think he wanted to work more in the producing and production end of records, and then he kind of missed it. And he came back with a solo career with the release of his eponymous Smokey album in 1973, or as I call it, the Smoke Man. <laughs> Smokey's going to be pissed off that I keep on making fun of him, but I, that's what I do. 
Uh, and then he made uh, the, in 1974 Robinson's second album, Pure Smokey, or as I call it, Pure Smoke Man. <laughs> was released but failed to produce it i'm not this guy's like this guy's like huger than i could even think of being i'm making i'm not making fun of him i'm just having fun um but the albums didn't they didn't do as well critically they didn't do as well as his fellow motown artists like marvin Gaye and stevie wonder and everybody expected him to like he was smoky he yeah. was motown like other the greater hits that consistent you just yes. assume it's going to continue right and but marvin Gaye and stevie wonder like owned the 70s i mean everything they released was just stratospheric i guess they expected smoky to do the same thing but uh he you know he had uh he had his own music and sometimes the music that you do or the music you want to do is not exactly the one that catches with the audience as far as sales are concerned. Uh, you can't, you shouldn't compare yourself to other artists is what we're saying. And that's what they were doing. But then Robinson answered his critics the following year with the album that we're going to hear uh, or review, which is A Quiet Storm, released in 1975. It was considered uh, a big comeback. It had three it had one number, it had three singles that did very well. The number one R&B hit, Baby That's Back At Ya, The Agony and Ecstasy, and The Quiet Storm, the song itself. Now, the interesting thing about this album, before we talk about it, is that it actually spawned uh, a whole musical genre in 1976 called Quiet Storm Music, which was uh soft mellow r&b with jazz inflections to it kind of like really laid back r&b soul with jazz which is what this album is this album before we even review it i think rob will agree is an r a very laid back r&b soul with a lot of jazz touches to it so it's very it's very kind of a quiet storm music that came after this which i'm not too familiar with because it's not my type of it's not my bag man you know it's just not my type of music but it's um, it's just very laid back, just very calm, you know. And it's like it's definitely easy listening, um, easy listening soul, right? Would you say? Yeah, very easy listening. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can tell by that remark that things are not going well. <laughs> that that smoky. I hope I hope you're prepared for something not too kind. Um, so then we get to the album. Uh, I have to say this album, before we review it, um, it did get a lot of raves. It actually was was named one of the greatest Motown albums of all time in a 1999 edition of Q Magazine. And it is considered by a lot of people to be a, uh, a landmark in, in R&B and soul music. And, uh, um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, I just, um, the thing that I thought about, I know I'm, I was hesitating quite a bit, but what I was thinking about was, uh, the, is that to be named, and I, I, I don't, why I'm hesitating is that I don't want to be, I, I don't want to sound flippant, but Motown was not meant for their great albums. Until Stevie Wonder and Marvin, until the 70s came around. Bowtown was mostly known as a hit factory and making crappy albums. Uh, 
uh, as singles we talked first, about last yeah. week. Albums are just a thing that gets done right. with them. Albums were just a way to promote the singles. <laughs> and so, I don't know, Calling Quiet Storm, one of the great Modus Motown albums of all time, still isn't a great... <laughs> still isn't... Yeah. It's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a thing like if you say that's one of the great uh, EMI albums of all time. Yeah, does it make you a big fish in a small pond? Yeah. Uh, but I'm not putting it down either because in the 70s you have what's going on with Marvin Gaye and all of Marvin Gaye's catalog in the 70s. You got all of Stevie Wonder's catalog in the 70s. But even after that, there, there wasn't a lot of you know heavy Motown albums. You know, it, it's still, except for one or two artists, they were not known for their, for their uh, album art it was uh even though they tried smoky tried this this album quiet storm has a nice little quiet storm is very much the theme of this yeah, as you hear a storm through each each between you can each hear the track wind blowing in the background yeah. and... which i like i like albums that are meant as one piece it has this, a thematic feel to it i like yes that i like that i like i like albums that have a thematic feel especially ones that that don't just try to have a thematic feel to sell but are actually have an are legitimately this is this is a, uh, a thematic uh, album that or this is like forty minutes of what I'm trying to get across, which is what Smokey's trying to do. Not something like somebody says, "Oh, let's make a theme out of this because it might win the critics over." That bullshit. I like albums that say, "Yeah, this is a statement I'm trying to make," and I think he is trying to make a statement here. Um, he is definitely, uh, you know, saying something. Um, Almost creating a music, which he is. He's creating a different type of music, and he's creating this this quiet storm music, the soft R and B type soul with jazz, a lot of jazz singing, especially with the song "Quiet Storm." When I first heard this album, I uh, I wasn't I wasn't dancing on the ceiling, as Lana Richie would say. <laughs> I uh, I was kind of like, uh, well, that really meant what really below was below my expectations and especially after i, I had been reading before I, I i listened to the album the first all time the accolades of, oh. all the accolades that i had read about i was going wow that's uh that's that really is below my expectations it really kind of like doesn't do much for me i have listened to the album i can't three or four times uh and uh four times and they did get better for me i, I do like the theme through it the songs do grow on you a bit. I do have to say, uh, this isn't my bag at all. <laughs> it really, it really is not. Like, and I love, I love like Rob knows because I talk about it all the time on this show. I love R and B and soul music in the seventies, but this is not my type of R and B and soul music. No, this actually, uh, when I first listened to it uh, with no research, I said, uh, you know, what that sounds like is it sounds like soft rock. Yeah. Sounds like yacht rock, you know, where, where you, you're. A lot of people don't know what yacht rock is, but yacht rock is like when you listen to the Doobie Brothers, or on your yacht, or on your boat in the summertime, and it and it just wants you just you just want to have that keyboards and to be and to to kind of soothe you, you know, like Christopher Cross and stuff like that, which is a lot what Quiet Storm music is like actually. Yeah. And um, I have nothing against that. I have nothing against any type of music. It's just not my my thing yeah definitely didn't yeah. Uh, didn't grab it now th that doesn't mean that I didn't like this record because first of all I liked it I didn't love it <laughs> and I can appreciate that what Smokey was trying to do 
He did it extremely well. The playing is exceptional. The arrangements are exceptional. Uh, I find some of the writing to be a little bit all a little bit all over the place in some instances. Not as catchy as you would get with a Marvin Gaye or a Stevie Wonder. Um, again, I hate to I hate to uh, compare to other artists. I'm just saying that. It, it doesn't, or even Smokey's 60s songs. I just didn't find them all that. It was more the mood he was trying to catch than trying to make a, a, a really strong song or a hit strong single type yeah. of thing. Um, nothing except for a couple <laughs> songs. Nothing was bad to me. I did not like the wedding song. Uh, the wedding song was written by Smokey for Jermaine Jackson's, Michael's brother, Jermaine Jackson's wedding. To Barry Gordy's daughter, I think, and uh, at around that time, and I just it was just sappy, and it was, uh, and it's just uh, I'm not going to say atrocious because if it's at a wedding, it's nice to put it on a record. Is uh, and seven minutes of it? No, it's only three minutes. Oh, only three minutes. Quiet storm is seven minutes. There's one on the second side that's seven minutes. The, uh, yeah, the happy song, the one right after. Oh, that's yeah, the one yeah, that yeah. was a soundtrack song. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't speaking of happy. I wasn't happy okay. with that one either. I thought first of all that went on too long, and uh, it had it some good, catchy lyrics in it. It had. It did. I was just about to say, which is funny. <laughs> I was about to say it has some good parts to it, some catchy parts to it, but it does have some parts that it doesn't flow very well. Like it has good parts, it has some mediocre parts. And to go on for seven minutes, it didn't work. Those two songs I had trouble with. Other than that, I had no problems with the songs. Uh, and it's all really, like this album is under control. You can tell that Smokey's in control of the production. It's, it's just, it's really done right. And I can see how somebody could really love this album if they like this type of music. I just don't, I don't dislike this music. But it's not, it's 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 not a music that makes me do anything except you know enjoy it. Kind of like oh that's nice. I kind of it's like something that, that uh, I, I would have in the background more than um, than the, for listening. Uh, it would just be kind of a. Uh, and it's funny you said that, Rob, because that's what quiet storm music and yacht rock is very much about. Is having almost that type of music. While you're boating or while you're on the beach. While you're doing something. While you're doing something else and you don't want to have loud music. You want to have uh, the Three Brothers playing, like I said, or, um, you know, Luther Vandross playing in the background. And it's, it doesn't it's, disturb people. Yeah, it get, it sets you in a mood to be relaxed like you want to be. It certainly is not unpleasant to listen to. No, it's not at all. What we're saying is that it's just not in our... Yep. And we can't love every type of music like, oh my God, we love everything. We like, I think, every type of music, but we don't go gaga for every type of music. And this just, it's there and you you appreciate it. You really do. I appreciated this album, but I just couldn't get into it. And it would never be a type of music that I would want to buy. But if somebody bought it for me, I'd listen to it and probably really enjoy it. Uh, more in the background than it's not studying music it's not where you'd I, I every time I'd get to try and study this music it, it kind of relaxed me and I didn't want to study I just kind of groove along with it which it kind of did its job in a way because that's what it's supposed to do but it wasn't making any statement for me and uh, 
it's really hard. I think the hardest part of this job is to uh, review an album that is just not in your sphere, you know, <laughs> because that because we're saying, well, we don't we don't kind of like it. It's good, but we don't kind of like it. It's 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 because a lot of people and I know probably love this album and love that type of music. And we we're trying to ride the fine line of saying we're not really enthused about this. But we don't want to knock it because with people that like this type of music, this is like a, a really classic record. Yep. So, but we're here to give our opinions, and we're just saying that if you like kind of soft rock R and B, soft R and B type of music, uh, this is for you. It's it's you can't do much better than this. But for for me personally, and for Rob, I because I know already how he feels yep. by his constant yep. You know something. <laughs> Uh, I give it, I give it, uh, it just doesn't, it's just, I like to hear Rob because I, I can't put it the, in the words that I want to, but it's just, it's just pleasant. It's, it's nicely pleasant, but it doesn't, doesn't make me want to listen to it until I, unless I have to. So I give it, I give it three and a half for, um, which is very good. Three and a half, of course, is very good, which just means it's done very well, very good. And uh, I know that other people have given it four and a half, four stars that I have read and, uh, Personally, I can't do that because I, I would be lying because I don't think it's that strong. Yeah, I can uh, sum up. You pretty much said everything I have to say about it. Well, not everything, but uh, pretty much uh, my whole opinion of it. I uh, started off my entire thing with, um, this is a good album and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. See how Rob always sums up everything in one sentence that I just took three paragraphs to try and say? <laughs> I, I tried liking it. I, I gave it about uh, three good listens and one not so good listen. And you know, I was almost as I, the, the show was approaching, I was panicking. It's like, what do I have to say? <laughs> it's. I was almost at that panic too. Like good, I'm supposed but... <laughs> to like this, but I don't really. It's just, it's just not my bag. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Like I say, it's it. it, it very uh, soft, easy listening, not middle of the road, but easy, free, free. you're not going to hurt your brain on this one. Right. That's a good point to make. It's not middle of the road because there's a lot of jazz inflections on here, which are very uncommercial. Oh, I like the flute playing. Yeah, I do like the flute playing. Or I do. Or the cat was playing the flute. Or the cat who's playing the theremin or yes. type of instrument is really cool. There, yes. That's why you, Yes. I love that, and I actually like because that actually what he does. Like, I like that. It's a really neat touch that you don't hear often, and there are neat touches. The production is really good. Everything is good about this album. It's just we couldn't get into it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. Remember Teddy Pendergrass? How the you know he he did a really good album that was clearly geared towards the ladies. Yes, I did, and for that reason, I had a hard time. Uh, Again, I liked it. Again, but I, I we uh... that's as good. That's a good point. We like that album, but because it was geared towards women, and it was almost it was almost against a whole section. Not against, but not yeah. playing for a whole section of people. We couldn't really get into it, and it, but we knew the expertise was there. Yeah, and I'm I'm guessing this one also was also um, uh, kind of made with with us not as the audience members in mind. Yes. <laughs> a simple white folk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Game of some guitar picking. So what would you give this, Rob? I gave it a personal three. I, You know, I was going to give it a three. 
And then I decided because of the production and the how well it's done, I, I gave it up an extra half star. Yeah, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying I had the same. I had the same feelings of you after four listens. I was saying, "Geez, am I going to give this classic record a three stars?" And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, but you know what? I really feel I should give it a half star because of the production. Everything, and everything. Yeah. was done really well. It is, and even the songs are good, except except for the two songs that we mentioned that were kind of yeah. I do like I, I like them more lyrically than uh, than right than musically. musically. Yeah, musically, it actually was hurting. Uh, happy was." Was actually has some very great lyrics in it, but the music for seven minutes of uh, the agony really let it down. Liked, and, oh, uh, great song! Uh, Quiet storm. I like the lyrics from that one too. Again, again. I was going into that thinking, uh, what kind of quiet storm is he talking about? And then uh, he explains further, and uh, okay. That and I'm listening to this song, and I know we're just gonna go over, which is too bad. But we're close, anyways. <laughs> I was listening to Quiet Storm, and I was going, "There's so much I like about this. I like, I like the vibe. It, it goes on for eight minutes, but you don't know it." And it's got this quiet storm type of vibe to it, you know, like it's a storm, but it's quiet. And, and you got that kind of keyboard theremin type sound to it. And I said, very inventive, but it still doesn't move me like the other music that I hear moves me. It just, it's, it, it was just, I don't know. I, I don't think we're describing it. We could never really describe it well because we're not into the music uh, that Smokey is playing. A little bit too soft for us, a little bit too laid back. But definitely understand people getting into this big time because the songs there, Quiet Storm is such a cool song. Again, like Quiet Storm, The Agony and the Ecstasy and Baby That's Back At You, the first three songs are the first three singles. And they're really good. I mean, they are. They're really good. But when they're over, you just kind of go, they're really good, but I don't feel much after they're done. You know what I mean? It's really hard to describe. It is, these are the albums that are the hardest to do yeah. because you know that it's not your music that that really attracts you but you know it's good and you're yeah. trying to convey that it's just because we're giving it kind of a midland review doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it <laughs> yeah it's confusing it is confusing it's even confusing when you're listening to it because you know oh this is not this is not what i would normally listen to at all and like but I mean, this is to... this is not Joe Schmo doing the music. This is Smokey Robinson, which makes a big difference because the quality is there, and and you appreciate that. That's why we're giving it even as high as three and three and a half. Yeah, is because if somebody else did this type of music and did it badly, trust me, there'd be there'd be some twos and one and a half when we throw it. So you know that's that's pretty much all we got to say. Um, Next week, I think it's going to be different when we review the album we're going to review. Uh, in fact, I know it's going to be different. I just know it is. So that's our show for today. Next week, we will have a new album to review. I already know what it is. Rob does not. But it's going to be cool. And maybe even something to talk about next week on Odds and Ends. But who knows? Don't take any bets on that, kids. <laughs> um, so until then, we almost made 60 Minutes. So close. Everybody take care and stay safe. I just write her on. See, that's humor. If people don't get that that's humor, I want them the hell out of here. Okay? Seriously, I want them to get their stuff and to get the hell out of here.